All right. So, um, good morning again. Uh, my name is Ted. I'm the lead pastor. And if we haven't met before, um, one of the things that I am concerned about, one of the things that we are concerned about as a staff team here at Access, is that we want everyone to have a connection with God. That's why we exist. Um, and on Sunday mornings when we do this, when we sing songs together, when we pray, when we talk about the retreat and we do messages and, and get into the stuff of life, it's all with this desire to help you grow a better connection with God who is connected with us through his son, Jesus. And um, today we're going to be launching into a new series about leadership. It's called uh, our... Our theme is Leadership Lessons 2019. I know it's a, it's a very creative title. Um, we have these every so often, and um, we just put a new year by it just to make sure it's different. Um, but we're doing Leadership Lessons 2019. Um, and the real main question behind this series is, what has God been teaching you? I'm going to be starting the series off. I'll be answering this question today. Then next week, we're going to have Pastor John answer this question, what has God been teaching you about leadership? Pastor Grace will be doing it in week three. And so we're just sharing some of the personal lessons that God has been speaking to us uh, in the last year or two and how they've impacted our leadership. And hopefully through all of this, you will gain some insight as well and be encouraged along in your leadership. Now, when I say this, I, I often like to give two kind of preliminary remarks when I talk about leadership at, in sort of the access setting. Number one, leadership is a topic for the whole church. It's for the whole church, for everyone. And why is that? Because God has placed his church at the leading edge of his redemptive mission. God is redeeming and changing and transforming this world, and he has called his church to do it. And he has given us images in scripture to help us imagine that role. We are called light in a dark place. We don't hide that light. We are children of light. We belong to the light, and so we need to live in that light and bring light to others. And so if you just take even that simple metaphor, you and I are meant to lead people to know God. And at the very basic level, that's for everyone. Now, there are also differences. Some of you may lead in very formal positions. You're given a title. You're a leader in your workplace. You're a leader at your school. Or maybe you're a leader in the church. Maybe you're a leader in your family, and you have the title and role to go with that. And so you are constantly thinking about that because you're in that formal position. Others of us may not have that formal position, but it doesn't mean you don't lead, it doesn't mean you're not a leader. Some of the times we're thrust into leadership roles because the needs of the moment dictate that. Sometimes our family look to us for leadership because we have more experience in that area. Sometimes our friends look to us for leadership because of a certain situation that has come up. So let me just say this up front. Leadership is a topic for the entire church. Now, the second um, word I'd like to say whenever we start talking about leadership here at Access is to make an observation about leadership culture here at 
this particular church at Access. When we talk about leadership here and we talk about needs or we talk about leadership calls and stuff like that, I often find that people are a bit cautious. There's kind of a, I don't want to say timidity because that's not quite the right word because some of you have been very strong leaders in other settings. But when it comes to leadership in the church setting and especially here, there's kind of a like a caution. And this is in contrast to some of the other places that I've been and some of the other scenarios in which I've led. So when I was in college, I was part of a group called InterVarsity uh, Christian Fellowship. Maybe some of you are Ivy alums, anybody? Um, yeah, a few of you here. Um, and I remember in college, when there was a leadership call and where people were you know, invited into leadership, people were like, yeah, I want to lead. I want to I give my a try at that. I want to I do that. And the culture was really different. There was an instantaneous kind of like response. People were uh, highly, you know, motivated. Um, that might have been weird and strange because of the college setting I was in. You know, students tend to not know better sometimes. And so we <laughs> elected ourselves for leadership all the time. And that comes with its own set of problems too. Here at Access, it's sometimes different. And one of the reasons why... One of the reasons why some of us are even here at Access is because we've experienced some really negative leadership in our lives. We've had authority figures in our lives that have been very overbearing or dominant that have maybe wounded us and really given us a bad taste for leadership. Some of us are here because we've, we've been asked to be in leadership over time and we really realize that what that truly meant was we were given a lot of responsibility, absolutely no power and no way to get out of it, right? So we've been essentially just in roles of service and responsibility for years that we couldn't leave or take a break from. Um, whenever the staff you know, catches stories like that, whenever we hear that from folks, most of us understand. I mean, and pretty much all the staff has kind of gone through some of those experiences. So when we, when we hear that, we say, hey, that's totally fine. We get it. We've been there ourselves. And when you come to Access, it's a place for you to experience healing, redemption. Really, that connection with God is most vital. Before you think about leadership, think about what that connection is like for you and find some healing. But we also don't want to shy away from the real work that this, this, this um, message series is all about. Leadership really does matter. It matters to God because he has called his church to be light in this world. And so here's a scripture from Matthew chapter 5 when Jesus talks about his followers. And he says this, you are the light of the world. And a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may be, whoops, <laughs> your good, they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You are the light of the world. You, me, the church. So leadership matters. Now, I'm going to give you three things today, um, things that God has been teaching me about leadership in the last couple of years. I'll spend a lot of time on the first one, a little bit 
uh, time in the middle one. And the last one will be a little bit shorter. Uh, no less important, but I feel like God wanted me to at least put it in there today. So uh, here we go. My first one, something that God's been teaching me a lot about leadership um, in the last couple of years is this. Good leaders root their identity in God. Good leaders, good spiritual leaders, good Jesus-following leaders, root their identity in God. So that's a picture of Henry now, and you know, I've quoted from him often over the years. Um, he's a Catholic spiritual writer who writes a lot about the, the interior journey, um, not just behavioral modification, but if you want to go a little deeper, he's a good person to kind of guide you there to help do that internal work. Um, He's passed away, but many of his books still remain as some of the, uh, the stuff that we like. And in his early days, I read this story about him a while ago from, uh, in a book called A Peculiar People. It was by somebody else, but regardless. Henry Nouwen uh, was a young kind of chaplain on the Holland America cruise line. And so what he did was he would accompany immigrants from Holland to America, you know, praying with them, getting them uh, acclimated, kind of being a spiritual companion to them on this journey from one place in Europe to America. Now, one day, their ship and the crew was in the port of Rotterdam, which is the largest of, or one of the largest ports in all of Europe. That's a (laughs) picture of it today. Uh, It's a large and it's a complicated port, And the problem was this. The port was filled with fog. It was, you just couldn't see. The crew couldn't see past the bow of the ship. And so they're completely dependent on the radar operator to tell them where to turn and where to go so they wouldn't collide into somebody or hit a smaller ship. You know, um, it was a big responsibility. Now, I grew up in California. I don't know if anybody else has Southern California roots, but fog was like a real thing for me growing up. And it was, when you hit the fog, you, I mean, it was a, it was a dangerous thing to encounter on the road. And there were times when I was driving, um, even like going uh, home from school, when the fog was so bad, you could only see like two of those little, you know, traffic dots in front of you. You know what I'm talking about? The botch dots that reflect back to you. Um, and so I would roll down the windows to hear, uh, to listen for cars uh, in case they were coming up fast on me or in case I was coming up fast on somebody else. I'd drive really slow to try and get home. And this is, this is, this is what it's like to be in deep fog. That crew in the port of Rotterdam was surrounded by deep fog. And they were responsible for the lives of hundreds, if not thousands of people on this cruise ship And so the captain was experiencing a lot of anxiety, a lot of frustration, a lot of worry, and he was just pacing on the bridge, just walking back and forth, just kind of, you know, nervously pacing back and forth, wondering, hoping, making sure things were correct. And in the midst of all that anxiety, he collided into Henry Nowen. So the two of them kind of smashed into each other and crashed on the bridge. And in the fit of all of that frustration, the captain began to curse out Henry Nowen. Now, 
who curses out a priest, right? It's his, like nobody does that, right? He's cursing out the priest because he's so angry. He's so like filled with anxiety. Um, and Henry Nouwen, of course, being more of the interior journey kind of guy, begins to leave. He's feeling crushed. He's feeling worthless. He's feeling down on himself. He doesn't know what to do in this situation. And then the captain has a change of heart. He says, wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. You should stay because this might be the only time I really need you. Because he was worried about life and death, right? Wait, why don't you stay around? This might be the only time I really need you. Now, why is this story important and why are we talking about with leadership today? Because one of the problems that we face in leadership over and over again, if you find yourself leading a lot, is that we live in a world that constantly evaluates your worth. It constantly says to you if you are worthy or you're unworthy, whether you're important, you're necessary, you're vital, you belong on the bridge, or no, we don't need you, you're not important, you don't matter to us, you belong on the margin, you should stay on the side, your voice is not important. And the more you do leadership-type activities, and the more you, you try and dare to lead, especially in the crazy world that we live in today, the more you're going to hear this voice that tells you, we don't need you. You're not important. What are you doing here in the first place? You don't belong here. We really don't need to hear from you right now. The problem is, as leaders, is when we begin to trade this voice for the voice of God, we effectively extinguish our light. We trade the light for darkness And we let the voices of the culture, of this world, of the forces around us become the dominant voices that define us and lead us. We effectively let darkness lead the way. And this is not the way of Christ-following leadership. So, identity formation. Let me just say a couple words about this is one of the things that God is really concerned about with our lives, the forming of our identity, the formation of who you think you are, how you understand yourself. God is deeply concerned with this in your life. And not only that, it's one of the primary ways that he instills love, grace, healing, and redemption into our lives. He does it by helping us to understand who we are. So some examples here. Um, Abram and Sarai in the book of Genesis. They were a couple who God called to move from their homeland, from all the comforts of a well-established life of wealth and technology, and to go to a promised land that pretty much had nothing, right? And God promised them, you're going to have like, you're going to be the father of nations, okay? Only one problem, they didn't have kids, So how is this whole nation thing going to happen? How is this nation building happening when there's no kids and no, like, people to pass our name on to, et cetera? In the midst of all that struggle, and God did provide for them baby Isaac, um, he gave them a name change. 
he named Abram, which was exalted father, into Abraham, which is father of nations. He renamed Sarah, Sarai into Sarah, which meant noble woman, which meant that her name formerly meant princess or something like a, a more of a family name and became more of a name that meant leadership among others. And the vision he gave them was, a na- was through their name and through renaming them, even though that reality hadn't been lived out yet. God renamed them, remade their identity. The first disciples were, had a professional identity. They were fishermen. People knew them as fishermen. And one of the first things that Jesus says to them is that you're going to be fishing for humans. <laughs> okay, that's weird. But um, you're going to be fishers of men. And so he gave them a new professional identity. And he gave Simon in particular. Um, at the time before he was uh, a Simon, um, he was known as a fisherman. Uh, Jesus said, I'm going to call you, actually, our youth should know this because this was a camp verse. I went to camp this week, and this was the verse that they kept saying out loud, and I didn't know that until, I mean, I didn't do that just because I was at camp, but it did reinforce, oh, anyways, so Simon became Peter, which means rock, thank you, and on this rock, I will build my church. Kind of like a tall order, kind of a big responsibility. Um, I don't know if Peter was ready for that, you know, but, but Jesus had a vision for him, and he was remaking his identity. There was a guy named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector in his city. He was hated by everyone, and maybe he hated himself. It was not a glorious job. Um, and in many ways, people looked down on him physically, uh, relationally, politically, all of that. And when Jesus redeemed Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus started following Jesus, he said this in front of everyone, this man is also a son of Abraham. He's one of us. He's not an outsider anymore. He belongs to God. So these are just a couple of quick examples. We can go through so much scripture in which identity formation happens. But here's the point of me bringing all of this up. See, a challenge of leadership is the regular scrutiny and evaluation that we face daily, monthly, annually. We face this all the time. There are voices that try to define who you are constantly. This is the way Nowen kind of describes that same problem. Why is this so? Why do we children of light so easily become conspirators with the darkness? The answer is quite simple. Our identity, our sense of self, is at stake. Secularity is a way of being dependent on the responses of our milieu. The secular or false self is a self which is fabricated, as Thomas Merton says, by social compulsions. Whether I am a pianist, a businessman, or a minister, what matters is how I am perceived by my world. If being busy is a good thing, then I must be busy. If having money is a sign of real freedom, then I must claim my money. If knowing many people proves my importance, I will have to make the necessary contacts. And when my sense of self depends on what others say of me, anger is quite natural reaction to a critical word. And when my sense of self depends on what I acquire, greed flares up when my desires are frustrated. 
There's a lot to think about here, a lot for us to ponder. But here is where you need to go. Ephesians 4 says it this way. And this is throughout the New Testament. I just chose Ephesians uh, as an example. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in, the righteous, in true righteousness and holiness. This is the work of identity formation. We have this identity that we've grown up with, that people have given us, that we've inherited from our, all our years of schooling, of family life, and so forth. And what God does when we come first to Jesus, he begins to set us free with us. There's a new self. And this new self is waiting to unfold, but you've got to stick with it. Keep putting off that old identity. Live into the new you that God says you are. You do this repeatedly. This is an ongoing thing. So let's get practical before we finish the first point. How do I root my identity in God and what God says about me? As a leader, be sure to make regular time to rest from work. And I'm going to say that's, I, could, I should have separated these. One of the most important things for me to do as a leader is to have regular Sabbath time, just to take a break. I do this every summer. You guys know that. I take a summer sabbatical. But I also do this on a weekly basis. I take Mondays off. And I do this because work has a certain way of propping up identity for many of us, including me. It makes me feel important when I got a lot of things to do. I just, you know, there's just things that are demanding on me, and I, I get to make a call on it, right? Subtly, for some of us, that reinforces kind of the ego tripping thing that some of us deal with, you know? And that's not always a good thing. Now, God wants me to do that, but he doesn't want me to ego trip, right? And it's really important that I just take that off, that I become a normal human being, a child of God. And when I rest, when I rest from my work, one of the most important things that I do every summer when I take my summer sabbatical is I get to that place where I am, I am just Ted, a child of God. I follow Jesus like you follow Jesus. I am one who belongs to God the Father. And I take off that role of, you know, lead pastor. I take off that role of nonprofit leader. I take off those roles of whatever things that have accrued. And I need to get to that place because it's healthy for me to do that. Now, it's uncomfortable. Do I feel insecure when I do that? I Kind of, yeah. I don't have a lot to prop my ego up on, but, but that's okay. That's where I need to be. Secondly, you need to be in positions that don't re- keep requiring you to lead. Sometimes that means it's like letting other people make the decision for the day. It means not being in control. That's been a hard lesson for me sometimes, but over the summers, over my rest periods, this is very freeing for me so that I am not, not, not always in control of the situation. I could say more about that, but I just want to say this as the big broad stroke of identity formation. Identity, good leaders root their identity in God. All right, so let's move on. Lesson number two. 
Lesson number two goes kind of hand-to-hand with one, but this is also something deep that God has been teaching me. Good leaders listen to God. Good, listen, good leaders listen to God. So a couple of years ago, I went on this conference uh, with uh, the Mid-South Conference, which is part of a denomination, the Evangelical Covenant Church. And the speaker was talking about a lot of the number one point I made about identity and leadership and all that confusion that can happen. And he was talking about all those voices that can oftentimes lead us in the wrong direction to think of ourselves in the wrong way about ourselves as leaders, right? And he said, one of the things that we need to do to move into that new place of our new self is to become better listeners of the voice of God. God still speaks. He speaks regularly. He speaks constantly. We need to acquire antennas for that. We need to incline our ears to that. God is speaking, and we need to listen. Um, so I, I took the speaker up on his word, uh, grabbed another friend. We got into this prayer session together, and it was... I was at the time wrestling with some kind of leadership baggage, and I wanted some clarity about it. It was kind of hanging me up, and I, I didn't know what God thought about this. And it was kind of a struggle, but I said, you know, I want to hear more clearly about what God thinks regarding me as a leader. Now, let me give you context for this. So I grew up in a household um, that was really contentious, that had a lot of fighting. Mom and dad fought a lot. And when mom and dad fought a lot, there's a lot of yelling and, and screaming, and um, eventually when I was in grade school, in, in like fourth grade, my parents split up, they, um, they got a divorce, and you would think that because of the divorce, because they lived in separate homes, um, that the, the fighting would kind of subside, but actually, no, it didn't. The fighting just went through a new avenue, me, Ted. So... What happened would, would be, like, my dad would call to set up um, visitation, right? So on the weekend, we'd go to visit dad. And so dad would call, and um, whenever he called, if my mom answered the phone, click, immediately, he would hang up because he didn't want to talk to her. Um, obviously, they had a divorce, and it was really awkward and stuff. And so this would go on, and my mom would just get mad because it's like, that's so rude. Um, but it was also a signal that Ted should get on the phone, and it eventually became the thing. It's like, when I picked the phone, oh, okay, dad would talk, and then we'd start talking about visitation, talk about when things would be set up, and I would have to translate. So this was a tricky thing. I would have to, like, get info from one party and, like, filter out all the, you know, the other stuff that doesn't need to be heard from one parent to the other and say, oh, yeah, uh, dad said this. Yeah, I, that's like 50% of what dad said. Um, and then I would say this to mom, from mom to dad. It's like, oh, yeah, mom, mom's angry, so he doesn't need to know that. Um, so I would filter that and, and bring that back. And, and, man, I would tell you, this was so stressful. Um, this was like a motive in my life. This became like a theme. Now, over the years, this same theme happened between friends, other family members. I became the... I was always the in-between guy. I was always the in-between warring factions of friends that didn't get along. I don't know why. Why do you always pick on me? Why, why am I the guy to go to? Um, but I don't know. Um, and that's what I wanted to pray about. So um, I think this is the funny thing. 
even though that's been a, a big theme in my life, I've never really talked to God about it for most of my life. Um, for the majority of my life, it's been something that I like, oh, here we go again, because I'm always that guy, right? I'm the, the mediator. Um, so in the middle of this prayer, God says to me and whispers the name, Peacemaker. I never thought of myself as a peacemaker. But within a matter of a few minutes, as we're praying and this word came, all my history began to make sense. And I was like, is this who you've called me to be? There's this sense of confirmation. It made so much sense of my history, of, of my, my, my brokenness, of my aversion for things and what I want to be. But I've never embraced it because I still don't really like conflict. I'm in it all the time. That's like I'm used to it. It doesn't bother me as much as you would think, but I've learned over the years that peacemaking requires certain things, and I've learned to release certain things. But this set me on a path as I was listening to God that I should really pour my heart into this, learn what I can, and enter into these scenarios with the best of intentions because God has called me to be his peacemaker. Now, um, how has this changed the way I lead? Well, for certain it's changed it this way. When I see conflict, do I still have a knee-jerk reaction of, oh, here we go again? Yes, I, that still happens. But I also have a sense of confidence like, that's not abnormal. God actually has placed me here for this moment, for this time, for this scenario, because maybe I can bring a gift of peace. Maybe I can help people to understand each other. Maybe I can bring connection where there's been disconnection. I will say this. I don't have magical peacemaking properties. No. I do not have a special gift. I don't even, you know, the Enneagram has like those, those things, like some certain people are peacemakers. I don't even score that high with peacemaking. It's probably because I have so much negative aversion to this stuff, right? But I'm learning, and I feel like God keeps teaching me that you need to pursue this. You need to go in this direction. This is what I have for you. Now, I've done a lot of storytelling here. The main point of all of this is it's actually peace, not peacemaking. Actually, Cindy gave a great message on peacemaking. You should listen to that one. Uh, but my main point is this. As a leader, God has something for you. And the critical voice to listen to is his voice and not the voices all around you. Very true, you tell you, Pharisees, Jesus was talking to the Pharisees one day, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. So in the ancient world, uh, shepherds were known to be able to have signals and calls for their sheep, and they would do that. They would walk out, um, and 
the amazing thing is, even if multiple sheep herds were together, um, a unique shepherd could call his sheep out because of the nature of his voice. His own sheep would recognize his voice, and they would follow after him. And this is the same dynamic that can happen with Christians who recognize the voice of God. When you learn to recognize the voice of God, and God does speak, it is one of the most joyous and most freeing and most comforting voices you will ever hear. It will also be the most challenging, sometimes the most painful voices that you'll hear too. But the voice of God is critical for a leader to listen to because all the other voices will tell you where you ought to be. It is the voice of God that you need to follow as a leader. Now, unfortunately, I can't give you a long, this is probably worthy of a series on itself about listening to God. Um, Just a couple of quick things about how can I recognize his voice? How does that sound like? And people ask these all the time. For me, the majority of times when I listen to God, it happens through Scripture, and it happens in the imagery of Scripture. Sometimes God gives me images of Scripture passages, and I just, that's where I need to go. That's where I hang my hat. That's where I'm living spiritually day to day. I, I, I'm, I'm in this story for a while. Uh, and God's voice will not violate his own Scripture. He's not going to tell you, okay, now you need to go do something that violates all Ten Commandments. No, he's not, <laughs> that's not the way he will speak. Um, Another way to listen to God to make sure that we're listening well is to learn to ask our questions differently. So many of us, many, many of us, including myself, are often hung up on this. We are concerned with the why question. Why, God? Why? Why? I hear myself saying that. I know many of you ask that. And let me just say, God God doesn't always answer that. And if you are stuck on the same question and it's a lot of silence, it may be a signal that um, to ask a different question. Um, as a father of teens, um, my my kids don't always they can't always know why, and especially when they're younger and they ask really brilliant why questions. Like I can't explain to them why the sun sets and sun rises and <laughs> the spherical nature of the earth. And I used to have this debate with Amy all the time because she would just give simple explanations for things about the day ending. And I would like to give a more cosmic you know, explanation about the sun that goes around the earth. And okay, I'm kind of going on a rabbit trail. The whole thing I'm getting at here is that God is infinite and not all of his reasons are transparent to us. They will not be. We can't understand the mind of God fully. To think so is a little bit arrogant, especially if we believe in the God of the Bible, right? But a really critical question to be asking God regularly is, what do you want me to know? What do you want me to know? What do you want me to know about this situation? What do you want me to know about my leadership today? What do you want me to know about this problem that I'm facing? What do you want me to know, Lord? And I have found that changing the texture of those conversations, I can change the texture of those conversations by changing the question. And God gives me scripture and answers this a lot more, a lot more than the other way. Third kind of thing, kind of a pointer when it comes to recognizing the voice of God. 
This comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. There are times when God will have to give you a hard word. Sometimes it may come through a friend, sometimes it may come through scripture, sometimes that deep conviction happens, sometimes you're broken for something. Worldly sorrow leads to that deathly feeling of being stuck, of being ground to the ground. But godly sorrow often brings new life. That's the intention behind it. God's not always going to speak to you what you want to hear. Sometimes you need to hear some really hard things. But it's because God loves you. It's because he wants more for your life. It's because he has a, a bigger plan in store for you. All right, moving on to our last one today. I know these are quick. This one's going to be a pretty quick point. Good leaders understand process. Good leaders understand process. And when I was early on as a leader, when I was in seminary and then in church world, um, a lot of leadership talks that I heard and a lot of leadership lessons that I learned were all about casting good vision, casting a clear and compelling vision that people would want to follow, casting a God-centered, giant-sized vision. And yeah, that's, that's essential to leadership. I would say that's, that's still important. But I have, over the years, learned that there are other things that go into that for a more holistic picture. I've talked about the importance of values. That's another talk. But this one is about process, and process is essential to moving into vision. Um, You can think about it this way. You know, all sports teams at the beginning of a season have the same vision. They really do, right? We're going to win. We're going to win this year. What else do you want? You want a vision of losing? I mean, nobody has, no one begins the the season uh, with a vision to lose. Because if they do, they're going to lose all their fans, they're going to lose all their players, it's just not going to work. You know, we have a vision to win. But the ones who really win are oftentimes the ones who have learned the value and the importance of good process, of evaluation, of constantly working and improving on their processes, of getting better each game. There's a process that goes that leads to a vision. So if the sports thing didn't help you, um, getting in shape is the same way. Um, if you have a vision to get in shape, which a lot of folks do, um, you know it's not just not the vision that's going to help you. It's, it's really taking on that process. You can't just go to the gym one day and knock it all out in 12 hours, and it's like, I'm in shape, you know? <laughs> It doesn't work that way. There's a process that goes into it. If you're learning an instrument, if you're learning to play the cello or the viola or some other instrument, um, you can't just do a 12-hour workshop and just like, I'm done. I'm good, you know? Um, You learn to take it one step at a time. Now, this is also true of spiritual depth. It requires us to take a long obedience in the same direction. And some of us are in pathways to a deeper spiritual life with God, and we're moving in this direction, but it's hard. And this was my encouragement. I feel like I I wanted to say this to some of you here in this room. Some of you are in the midst of this process. God has called you into a process of persevering, of being faithful, not necessarily being exciting and being grand, but being consistent 
being steadfast. And it's August, and you're feeling the weight of that? You're bored? You're not sure whether this is, if this is actually working or paying off dividends? And I just want you to know some of the things that God needs to do in your life require a long obedience in the same direction. Don't give up. Persevere. Walk after our master. A secular quote and then a quote from the scripture. Look at a stonecutter hammering away at his rock, perhaps a hundred times, without as much as a crack showing on it. Yet at the hundred and first blow, it will split in two. And I know it was not the last blow that did it, but all that had gone before. So I've heard this is in the locker room of the uh, San Antonio Spurs. I'm not a Spurs fan, so I just... <laughs> might, they get credit for it, I get. Um, I think many of us in culture today see that stone break at the 101st try and go, man, <laughs> that rock cutter is awesome. <laughs> he just, he struck it. We don't see the life and the perseverance and the hard work that goes into the stuff that actually build the results. And I hope this kind of brings it home for you. Let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Some of you, this is the scripture for the day, and you just need to, to go home with this and remember it. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. Your God loves you more than you know. You are loved and deeply cherished by God who has given up his life for you. And the process and the road and the hard work that you're on, it may not look glorious or glamorous right now, but be faithful, be steadfast. Stay true to the master. We're going to turn our attention now to the communion elements. And the communion elements are really important for us. They represent the body of Christ, which is given for us. The cup is a cup of the new covenant made in the blood of Jesus. We come to this table not because we've earned our way, because we're amazing leaders, amazing followers, amazing people. We're, we're here because we need God. And we do this regularly. This is a discipline for us as a church because this reminds us who we are. And this reminds us who God is. God is our Savior. He's the one who's given us this covenant. He's the one who's given us forgiveness and freedom and grace. He's the one that's going to lead you home. He's the one who loves you the most. Come to him. He is your healer, your savior, your redeemer. This table is for you. And as we do this, I know we talked a lot about different things um, in leadership today. Maybe something stirred in your heart. Maybe you need some time to pray through it. We'll give you a minute to, to pray. 
um, I'm going to invite the communion service to come up. We'll take communion here first, and then we'll have stations to come up. Take the bread, dip it in the cup, and receive the goodness, the grace of God. So let's read this together before we enter in. Let's read this together as a church. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.